0: welcome to this week's episode of Dylan's vlog and podcast if you're watching uh, the video nice to see you if you're listening to the podcast thanks for tuning in uh, it's my weekly this is my weekly opportunity to share some updates about what's going on with me some of the businesses that I'm working on as well as maybe things in the broader market affecting entrepreneurs it's an opportunity for me to share some of my thoughts work out my thinking but Ideally, it's meant to stimulate some conversation with other solo entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs that are running businesses and feel like I <clears throat> just need somebody to talk to someone who maybe understands what they're going through and uh, in what I share. Maybe they're some of the things I share resonate, and uh, I'm always looking to connect with entrepreneurs, so this is my way of doing that. And thanks to some of your feedback, I am uh, just going to add a few little things into this week's episode from a format perspective. Um, not just going to share my updates and share my tweets, which is what I've been doing for the last couple of weeks, but also just going to talk about uh, a couple of things in the market at large as well. And so thanks for tuning in. Thanks for subscribing. If you're on YouTube, make sure to hit the subscribe button or and or click the notifications if you're listening to this on the podcast. It'd be awesome if you could leave a review or subscribe to it. That'd be, uh, that'd be great. But most importantly, in all of that, let's connect. If you're an entrepreneur running a business, let's connect on Twitter. Let's connect on uh, LinkedIn. Let's just chat about our businesses. Um, no one really knows what they're doing out there, or very few people do, and the rest of us are just figuring it out as we go. And some of us are brave enough to share that out loud, and that's what I'm doing. So we can just start with you know, what's going on with me this week. Uh, a couple of things. As you know, I'm trying to uh, figure out how to lock up a piece of real estate for um a couple of our businesses, and I've been going back and forth for a couple of weeks on a really great property, and I think I'm getting closer. I'm, I've certainly worked out the math ten ways to Sunday, and I know how it could work for us. Um, but I can't write a check for the amount of the property, and not terribly interested in taking on the amount of debt it would require. So I'm trying to put together a bit of a, not a bit of i I'm trying to put together a joint venture or a partnership, uh, which is my background. That's how I began uh, my career many, many years ago. And uh, I'm kind of excited, you know, but if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. If it does, it's going to give both of our businesses uh, something to grow into and to work into, and it gives us an opportunity to grow during a time that, you know, not many other people or not many other businesses have that opportunity. We do, um, and so we're looking forward to seeing where that goes. But what can I report this week? Well, I went and did another site visit yesterday with a fella uh, we went and kicked, kicked the tires, as it were, and uh, hopefully something's able to come together. Again, it's still pretty early. There's a bunch of due diligence that has to be done, a bunch of information that has to be provided from the owner, and real estate deals are kind of like that. Um, they're exciting at the beginning; they tend to lose their excitement as uh, life goes on, uh, just because of something called deal fatigue, which is you keep talking about something long enough, it just loses and shine. And I'm a, again, I've done this uh, uh, for a very long time and I know that a deal's not done until it is done. So this week, the deal is not done. We're still working on it and I'm still looking at other properties as well as a backup because not moving isn't an option. The only question is where are we going to move? If I can position a building that we'd own and work into, that would be better than just taking a lease on a bigger property, but um, the jury's out and we'll kind of see where that lands. Uh, what else can I share? Our on-demand labor system. Man, are we learning a lot about this. So this, this is a platform that I built because in our construction business, we have a need for labor, not um, labor that sits on our payroll for 40 hours a week or for full-time hours, but labor, labor that can sort of grow and shrink as we have bigger projects and larger projects or smaller projects. And then as we put it together, we realized there were lots of other companies in our market that had the same need. And so we've been working away on it. And um, I would say we've pretty much got a good system for getting workers into the queue. We had our first uh, set of workers last week get their ticket that we paid for. And of course the idea is with uh, low skilled workers to try and give them some upskilling opportunities by paying for their tickets and their certifications that would help them to make more money. And it's a win-win-win for everybody. The worker doesn't have to pay for these tickets and these certifications that would give them access to better jobs, which would help um, help them to earn more money. And on the job owner side, it's a win because now they get workers that um, are more than just unskilled or low skilled rather they're upskilling they're trying to figure out how to make themselves worth more and so we're pretty excited about it and starting to have conversations with other companies like ours that are not just interested in the labor component but really interested in how we're giving uh, a certain group of folks the opportunity to get into the labor market but not just get into it give them an actual path to um Uh, helping them to make more money and to make themselves more valuable and again the job owners are able to benefit because uh, they need those sorts of workers and there is no uh, single way that workers can um, that the workers have a roadmap to understanding how do we become worth more if I had some extra time or I had some extra money where do I spend it in order to make myself worth more and so uh, this week or sorry last week we ran our first certification program had a bunch of folks go through it they've now got their tickets which means they're making more money per hour and it satisfied a need that we have because we needed people with this particular ticket so that's been kind of fun but man the learning curve is like straight vertical and i guess that's what happens when you're trying to do something different um you know it sort of looks one way in your head you put it out on paper it looks like it could work and then as people start using it you realize you probably only thought through about 10% of it, because the other 90% is uh, situations and issues that you couldn't have possibly anticipated. And I don't know if you've ever tried to launch a new service or a new product, but uh, it's one thing to think about it and think you've got it all planned out, and then it's a totally different thing to end up seeing it out there in the real world and figuring out how it works. And so we're kind of we're still got a lot of learning uh, to do, but I think um, with each passing day and certainly each passing week, the learnings are are becoming smaller and smaller. And uh, so, so between the real estate deal, um, the on-demand labor program that we're launching and is live and is working, uh, it's been pretty, pretty full. There's sort of an overall theme in both of these things, which is, you know, I'm sort of struggling with how to grow, not struggling with, but I think that I'm uh, struggling with the speed in which we can grow our businesses, because I'm realizing that, um, uh, in our businesses, we work so hard. I work, we work so hard to sort of shrink everything down, right size, our business, get a good list of customers, get rid of the ones we don't want really z- uh, zero in on what our value proposition is, what we're offering the marketplace. And it's almost been in this, um, mode of desperation where you're just trying to hang on because nobody really knew what effect COVID was going to have. And now we're moving into a new, a new time in the market, which appears to be a a time of inflation that things are going to get very, very expensive and life's going to get uh, a lot harder for certain businesses. It's going to get a lot easier for others. I'm a big believer that money doesn't disappear, just moves. So as an entrepreneur, you got to figure out, is it moving towards us or is it moving away from us? And then how do we protect ourselves against, how do we protect ourselves or how do we take advantage of that? And so for me, I'm finding with these this, these businesses, how do we really grow quickly and how do we take advantage of what I think our our strengths and our opportunities but uh, just doesn't seem to be going as fast as I would like mostly because there's only so many hours in the day and as I sit in front of uh, this microphone and begin sharing my thoughts I realize how fast a week goes and so maybe I just need to learn to be a little bit more patient which I'm not very good at. And so before I jump into my tweets, um, a couple of folks had said to me, hey, Dylan, you know, we always talk about what's going on in the market. Why don't you just share some thoughts about some things that you're seeing in the market and what your opinion is on it? And so this is Dylan's opinion section of a couple of things going on in the market. So first of all, you know, wouldn't be complete if we didn't talk about Elon Musk, you know, making an offer to buy Twitter. So he made an offer Uh, that was a pretty nice premium, 20, 30% over the current market share. If you're an entrepreneur and you're not a Twitter fan or an Elon Musk fan, no problem. Doesn't change anything because my opinion is, uh, you know, kind of applies to a whole bunch of different situations that you might find yourself in. But anyway, made an offer to buy the company. Looks like he's going to take it private. As soon as he fixes it up, right sizes it, he's looking to then take it public again. And it just got me thinking about in the businesses and the work I've been doing over the last decade, it's the same idea that, you know, business is struggling, it's not quite doing what it needs to do. And so there's an opportunity for someone with a with fresh eyes and a fresh vision to come in, make the tough decisions, um, definitely not be labeled a hero, but um, fast forward and everyone says, yeah, those were all the right decisions. But um, just reminded me as an entrepreneur, like that is our job, right? Our job is to maximize value and whether you believe that Elon Musk is buying Twitter because he wants to control a social narrative, ah, that's less important to me than the kind of the business case for why someone would do that. And I think the business case is a, is a pretty good one, which is there's a lot of unlocked value in Twitter that he thinks he can unlock so much so that he's willing to roll the dice and make a pretty big uh, purchase of it. And so as entrepreneurs, our job is to extract value. And as I've watched this Twitter thing move along and I've listened to uh, the commentary and the news reports and even his own Elon's own response to why he's doing it, it's really re- been a good reminder for me that my number one job is to make sure we're extracting value. So if at any time I feel like I'm coasting or I feel like I am just burning um, hours on tasks that other people would probably be better suited to do that. That's probably a first sign that, that maybe I'm not in the right, in my lane. And as, as, uh, the owner and as the leader, my job is to make sure that our businesses are moving forward and then trust that the people that, um, that I'm, uh, that are on our team can get the job done. And if they can't, my job is to figure out who can. So Elon buying Twitter. Heard today that he might have to refinance it a little bit. The way he thought he would originally do the deal is not how maybe the deal is going to come together ultimately. I think he's trying to reduce his own personal liability. And again, that's a a good decision for any entrepreneur to think about. You know, If there's an opportunity to structure a deal in a way that mitigates your own risk, I don't think there's ever anything wrong with that. So it'll be interesting to see how it comes together. Um, I found this interesting, which was that both Amazon and Netflix—you look at their share price—totally in the toilet. But the question is, is it actually in the toilet? As I watch this big market correction, and having been through a few cycles in my career, I'm always curious to see. You know, I remember when there's a, a real estate crash in our marketplace, and everyone thought, "Oh, you know, prices are going to go back to where they were one day, and this is all just fake, and and this drop isn't going to last for long." But I ended up thinking, "Man, them." The market that we were in had experienced so much activity that there was no way those prices were sustainable, that at some point they were going to fall, arguably, to where uh, real estate then reflected its actual value. And I I sort of think that way in the stock market right now. When you look at the earnings per share, you look at any of the metrics that uh, the market has been using for the last several years, it just seemed to be... um, unrealistic that it would continue like that. Like at some point, real valuation, real methodology had to be baked into people's decisions. And I think that's what we're starting to see now. And two companies, Amazon, Netflix, they're feeling the effects of whatever is happening in the market. So I wouldn't suggest that their market price drop is temporary. There's an, I think there's an argument to be made that that's probably what it is. But said a different way, as entrepreneurs, we run businesses. Over the last couple of years with COVID, we've had to make some pretty hard decisions to make sure that our businesses survive. And so this thinking that we're going to go back to where we were, I think, is misled thinking. I think that there's uh, something to be said about what if this was the size our businesses were supposed to be. There's a lot of businesses that didn't survive COVID. That's a reflection of the fact that they weren't strong going into COVID. They didn't really understand um, maybe... You know their, the the economics of what they were doing, and so COVID came along and wiped them out. And so for whoever else is left in the marketplace, I certainly don't go into every day waiting for the market to go back to where it was. I go into every day saying this is the market I have to work with, and this is the the cost of labor. This is the cost of our products and our services. These are the these are the behaviors of customers that we have to deal with. Here's what's going on in the supply chain, and I don't for one minute fool myself into thinking that it's fake. I think that this is this is real. So the stock market taking its drop, I think probably reflects where it should be all along. I don't think it's a drop in terms of people just holding their breath and waiting for it to go back. I think, you know, there's an argument to be made that that's exactly the price of Amazon and Netflix. And now you begin to think, okay, so what are they going to do? How are they going to react? Will Amazon carve out a piece of their business? Amazon web services take it public on its own? Will Netflix look to um, scale down on its operating budgets and try to save money somewhere? What are they going to do? Um, as entrepreneurs, these are things that we have to think through in the stock market just reminds me that when we see the price drop, we're fooling ourselves if we think it's temporary. I I think that it's a reflection. I think the, I happen to be someone who thinks the market is efficient and does always reflect all of the known information that is out there. And that's how I run my portfolio. Um, I run it on the basis of these are our businesses, these are our margins, these are our economics, and if we're not getting the result we want, then we have to make different decisions because just holding out hope that tomorrow is going to be better probably isn't the best strategy. And then something that I think has been creeping into into the news, and I've noticed it in our businesses as well, is this idea of labor, labor trying to have a a bigger seat at the table and in, in particular Amazon and I think Starbucks are doing you know you're hearing more about unionization of their locations that workers are uniting to try and you know take a piece of what they believe is theirs and for me i I I come from uh, having I'll say this a different way having hung out with um, uh, a guy like Richard Branson who is able to take all of the kind of the glory and the fame for whatever his companies have done over his career. If you've ever had a chance to meet him, he really is uh, very sincere when he said, when he, when he, um, explains that the only reason he's in the position he's in is because of the people that have worked for him and have done the, the, you know, the showing up every day and, and, and grinding out the work uh, that needed to be completed in order to make these businesses of his work. And now as I manage businesses and I'm responsible for people like that's, pretty much the only thing I think about right now is, is labor. And I grew up in a time when, you know, your boss was the boss and you worked for the boss and you should just be grateful to have a job. And I think through COVID, through the millennials, through the next generation behind them, I think there is an opportunity to do a better job of working with the labor side of a business. And so when I see the, the moves towards unionizing a Starbucks or an Amazon I actually get a little bit sad about that because I think that both of those companies can be doing a better job, apparently, maybe, of how they treat their workers. Um, they're, they, they are ridiculously profitable companies. And I get it. They've got to store up that value and they have to be able to ride a downturn. And, and so there's, a, there's an element of stewardship there. But I think there's also an element of making sure that people are getting competitive wages. They're being given... Um, work environments and work cultures that are positive. And, um, and so as I see this in the headlines, I, I, uh, I hear some of my colleagues get upset about it because they get very frustrated with the labor end of their business. For me, again, kind of my attitude, I feel I can't, there's nothing for me to do if people don't want to show up and and do a job. And so as I go into each day, I approach my day that way. I feel really blessed to have folks that want to work in our organizations. And I think there's something to be said about um, servant leadership. And that's quite frankly, what what I look to do. And so if you're an entrepreneur running a business, undoubtedly, you've had to wrestle with the same sort of issues. But I'd be curious to hear what, what you think about that. Do you think that this movement towards labor, trying to get uh, um, a better seat at the table is a good one. I'm certainly familiar with many of the arguments that laborers were, or labor unions were meant for a different time in a different place. And so it's not the labor union specifically that I'm I'm curious about. I'm more curious about why labor feels it needs to organize in the first place, because I think that's a feedback loop that should tell us leaders and business owners how well of a job we are or are not doing. And uh, so I'd be curious just to, just to hear what you think about that. Okay, let's get into the tweet. So I have a couple of tweets here and I'm just going to riff off on what I was thinking when I went through them. And the first one, um, let's just take a peek here. Let's see if I can pull it up. Um, so the first one was a tweet from you know, talking about inflation and and everything else that's been going on in the marketplace. Um, The tweet was, the further you are from the last bottom, the closer you are to the next. Not the first time um, I've seen this movie in my career. Head down, time to get to work. I made this tweet because I say this quite often, and it's, Uh, And it wasn't, I can't take credit for it because I certainly didn't come up with it, but someone had once said that the further you are from the last bottom, the closer you are to the next one. And the inverse of that is true as well. So the further you are away from the last peak, the closer you are to the next one. That's always stuck with me because it's pretty easy to run a business, to start a business, to look like you're profitable when things are really, really good. But when things get a little hard, interest rates go up, inflation kicks in, people want to be paid more money, the cost of materials goes up, kind of like the the time that we're in right now that's when real real businesses are built really profitable businesses are built Uh, you figure out how to right size you figure out how to take advantage of efficiencies like systems and technology and then you grind through the downturn you prove that you can be profitable. You put money in the bank. And then when the next upturn comes around, when the next upcycle kicks in, your business does nothing but make money hand over fist. And so um, my personality lends itself well to the struggle. That's the kind of guy that I am. I don't know why I'm wired that way, but I am. And so when I look in the marketplace right now and I see that for certain businesses, it's going to get really, really tough. Um, Our businesses aren't immune from it, but but I've not operated with um, any other idea except every day we, we have to be the best that we can be. And that means watching our pennies, making sure we're providing a great experience to customers, building real value, not just taking value, but building and creating value. And so the purpose of my tweet was just to kind of reinforce that, you know the bottom, everyone I think agrees we 're hitting a bottom, which means we could be in for a bit of a stretch, and as an entrepreneur, our job again is to figure out how to lead in the face of all of that. How do we still create value? How do we still create profit? and what motivates me every day is how do I make sure people still have work and how can we put people to work? How can we take advantage of everything that we know to make sure that people can live um, uh, stable and consistent lives and that 's my ammo. Don't know what yours is, but I would be curious to hear it. So drop me a note. Tell me tell me what you think. Um, the second tweet that I was going to just chat a little bit about, again, I'm not sure if there's a theme in what I'm doing here, but let's, uh, let's just bring it up. So it was, so someone had, had tweeted um, that uh, sometime in life you're going to be alone and you're just going to have to figure it out you're going to fail and no one will be there to save you. i um, not sure if uh, Sahil Bloom was having a bad day or had a bad conversation with someone, um, but I had I had, I had tweeted out that there's no way around it. Every win requires a certain quote volume of failure. And the faster you get through it, the sooner you, um, you reach your win. And I call it an education tax and everyone is paying it some more than others. Again, kind of a philosophy that I've had since I've taken my fair share of lumps, uh, in my career and I made all the mistakes, but I've also come to realize that, I mean, I I didn't go to school. I'm not formally educated. So there's an element that I think is missing there, um, that I've had to just make up for in terms of just hitting pretty much every landmine that an entrepreneur can hit. But for my personality, for my style, for the way that I learn, I, I just think that 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 success is a formula, but not a formula in the way we think, like, you know, meditate every day and eat healthy and just think good thoughts and everything's going to be cool. I think there's a place for for an element of that. But but more than that, what I think the math is, is that there's a certain amount of failure you simply have to get through. So whether you have a bachelor degree and an MBA and your failure was having to do the work to get through the course load, to learn the skills and and to learn the knowledge that you needed to go out and then be successful in the field, or someone like me, you just get up every day, hit all of the landmines and learn what you need to learn in order to reach uh, success, whatever your definition of that looks like. There's just an amount of work that has to be done. There's an amount of failure that has to be done because it's only through failure that you realize where the success is. And this is easy, really easy to say in words, really tough and difficult to, to put into practice. And so if you're an entrepreneur and you feel like you're set back every single time that you fail or you don't make it, that's an option. The, uh, there's another option as well, which looks a little bit more like, okay, there's another piece of failure I got out of the way. There's another, um education tax bill that I just paid. And now that I've paid it, uh, I'm able to move uh, quicker, faster, sooner to the next one and the next one and the next one. And so I have yet to see an example of success where that wasn't the case, where there wasn't simply a mathematical amount of failure that needed to be uh, uh, experienced in order to reach the success. And it doesn't even stop there. I mean, Success is relative to maybe your station in life and your 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 where you are in the life cycle of your age and generation and so forth. But even when you hit success, you know, those successes are just a way to keep score because if you're if you're constantly striving and pushing and, and looking to leverage everything you have, you're gonna need to go through a whole bunch of more failure to get to the next success. And so in my mind, it's wired more like, let's just knock the failures out, get to the win. And then I hold my breath because I know that the win is either going to, um, I'm either going to sit in that wind for a while and just try to squeeze the life out of it, or I'm going to recognize it and then quickly move on to the next thing and begin trying to get through the failure. Um, and you know, my own goals look very simple. I'm a husband, I'm a father, got five kids. That's, that's what I'm measuring success by. Am I providing for them? Am I protecting them? Am I giving them the opportunity to go through open doors because they too have to experience their own level of failure get to where it is they're going. So when I saw this tweet, it just reminded me of kind of the math that I run in my head that there's a certain amount of failure that you have to get through in order to get to the success, but you get to decide how quickly you get through those failures. It can take you your whole life as it seems to be taking me and that's what it feels like Or you can get through it relatively quickly. And just be smart, just be focused and tenacious about getting through it quickly. And I think that, you know, if you don't have a lot of responsibility in life, you can probably get through those failures much, much quicker than if you do have responsibilities least that's been my experience so far Um, but there is no way to not experience a volume of failures to get to the the success that you're looking for and there's probably an argument somewhere to be made that someone has said the bigger your failures the bigger your chances of success and I think in in my mind uh, as a math equation that seems that seems to make sense. Okay Um, well let's round it out here with another with a final tweet and... Let me see if I can dig it up here. I think. Let's see here. Where'd it go? Um, there we go. I got it. Now, I got a little bit of flack for this one, I have to admit. Um, so, and this is from the last episode. So, for you that were listening to the last episode and took a little bit of issue where I said smart people don't work in government... That isn't. I, I didn't. That wasn't meant to be said the way it was heard, um, and so I'm gonna I'm gonna op- crack that open just a little bit as I explain this tweet. So this tweet, a fellow named Mark Brooks said, "What you're currently trying to solve with process and policy is probably better solved by hiring better people." To which I had responded, "Yes, but people might not always be available and or want to work for you." Last week I had talked about. The lack of um, interest that a small business is going to get from people who have put in the work and effort to make themselves very valuable. And again, using kind of a simple math equation, if you went to school, got your bachelor degree, got your master's, got your PhD, there's no way you're coming to work for me in any of my companies because A, we can't afford you. Even if we could afford you, we can't give you the intellectual challenges you're going to be looking for, much less the upward career mobility that you're looking for. So what does that mean? That means I get to work with people every day that are right-sized, that they have the skills, the experience, the desire to work within our organizations, within our cultures, at the level that we're at now, and they can uh, use their skills and their talents to feel valuable every day. They can contribute to what we're doing and hopefully all... um, Uh, All of us can, can get to where we're going with these enterprises, but just thinking you're going to hire smart people and they're going to solve your problem is uh, in my experience just hasn't been true. In fact, I have found it to be um, the opposite that quote unquote, better people don't necessarily mean smarter people or people with more experience. If you're a small business like us, Being a better person means having a heightened sense of common sense because we don't have every single aspect of everything we do in our business systematized. So we rely heavily on our teams to use their knowledge, use their experience for sure, but also just use their common sense to figure out how to solve problems every day with our customers, with our vendors, with issues that arise from the specific products and services that we deliver to the market. Whereas you get into larger organizations, because they're large, the roles are... are much more defined. The systems and procedures are there to support people who uh, feel comfortable working in those types of environments. And then the upward mobility is there because you know, if you do A and you do B, it leads to C, C leads to D. In our businesses, we're simply not large enough to have that kind of a path. So hiring better people doesn't always mean hiring smarter people. Um, It depends on the size of your business. It depends on the problems that you're trying to solve. Some people are good for a period of time. And uh, I know in our business, we have a technical aspect to what we do. And so I'm very quick to say to our staff, hey, if we are a stepping stone to your next opportunity, that would be wonderful. We don't want you to feel weird about telling us that you're maybe moving on, that you're taking advantage of something better. In fact, my specific goal is that every day that you come in here, you are making yourself worth." more money. You are becoming more valuable and we'd like to be the catalyst for that because if you're becoming more valuable, we are going to become more valuable. That's called a win-win and that's how we approach everything. I know some entrepreneurs get very upset when people leave, especially people who maybe have a lot of tenure um, and they move on to a better opportunity, but you know what? People are going to act in their, self, in their own self-interest we all do. Uh, We're humans. That's part of the, the human condition. And so as an entrepreneur, if you're responsible for leading people, I think you want to cheer them on. I think you want to give them every opportunity possible that your business can offer within the constraints of what your business has to work with. Again, that's my approach. I don't know what yours is, but that approach has worked really well for me. And you know what it does? It generally creates really great relationships where there's transparency, there's honesty, because the people that are working under my care, aren't nervous to say, Hey, by the way, I have found something better. Thank you for investing in me. Thank you for, um, allowing me to, um, um, you know, kind of learn my chops here, but I'm going to move on to something better. Well, that's that's a win for us because as they were creating value for themselves, they were making us more valuable. And then my job is to make sure that if they do move on and do something else that I'm able to backfill that position, or our team is able to find someone to backfill that position, and then we do it all over again. And that makes it fun. That makes it exciting. That makes it enjoyable. And uh, also makes me a really big cheerleader for everyone on our team, because if they can find a better opportunity than what we're offering, because I think we've got a pretty good offering, then they should go and take advantage of it. It would be cruel and and mean to, to hold them them back um, but what about you what's your what's your philosophy on that do you think that kind of better people are the magic bullet um, or do you think that there's like a time and a place for um, entrepreneurs to hire the people that are right for their business at that time i'd be curious to hear about it so uh, that's the end of that's the end of the show, folks. Um, that's what I'm thinking about this week. It's what I'm working on. Uh, again, I do this because I'm trying to connect with other entrepreneurs. Um, I think the world's become connected this way: podcasting, vlogging, um, tweeting, texting, all that sort of stuff. And this is my way to try and create some new relationships, create a bit of a community around guys like me that you know what, we're just out trying to provide for our families. We're trying to provide for the fe- folks that work under our care and trying to build very profitable businesses within the constraints of our knowledge, our experience, and our bank account. And so if, you've, if that sounds like you, then let's connect. Let's figure out a way to, to have a conversation or, or, um, or begin interacting. So uh, again, just subscribe, like, rate, interact with this content in some way because that gets it in front of other people. And uh, I sure hope that you tune in again next week.